And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, they eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses, they threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play, a podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. It's not our show. No, this is long play. No, no, we're not starting again. That's that's it. You've ruined it, and we're just going to have to cover that mistake and go forward. Okay. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Well done, and welcome to long play. Now I know what you're thinking, and you're right. You two chances don't normally do this show. Well, apparently, long play will have any idiots. (laughs) So here we are. Uh, long play, in case you do not know or don't listen to regular, or if we brought you here, which would be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. If we brought you here. Long play is a Two True Freaks presentation where we discuss records that mean something to us. It has a rotating cadre of hosts. You won't know any of this because you don't listen to any shows. I'm aware of it. Uh, and I've been on one before with the lovely Mr. Bob Fisher. Mm. But uh, this is the first time that we've done one together, isn't it? It is. I am Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And together we normally host Hey Kids Comics also on this network, Mm -hmm. and I do Palace of Glittering Delights, which is a vanity project in many ways. But today, today, lovely listener, we are here to, um, what's the phrase? Rock out with our Spock out. Is that the correct phrase? That's the correct phrase for this show. Is that what the... That's that's the tagline for long play. Right, okay. Did you not know that? I did not know that. That's in the opening credits that you just didn't listen to, because you're not (laughs) editing this episode, and I am. So just just putting that out. I'm I'm getting the feeling that... uh, So, yeah, so normally we do that show, but today we're going to do this show. And we have teamed up to bring you one of our favourite records by one of our favourite bands, The Smiths, Strange Ways, Here We Come. Uh, Strange Ways, Here We Come is the fourth and final studio album by uh, one of the most influential, yeah, arguably one of the best British bands ever to exist. In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, most best British bands are Manchester and Liverpool. Yeah, because, you know, who cares about London? Yeah. (laughs) No, what it is, is London is affluent. Yeah. (laughs) Liverpool and Manchester is the north. So we don't have anything. So we have to turn our creativity into into music. Yeah. Because that's all we've got, basically. And the Smiths uh, were from Manchester. (laughs) <laughs> Which is why I responded to them because I, I, to quote Captain America, I got those references. 
it wasn't London and it wasn't anywhere else that I it didn't, was, was glamorous. Yeah, it was Salford, for yeah. God's sake. <laughs> you don't get any more armpit of the north than Salford. Yeah, well, true. maybe Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, so the Smiths were from my neck of the woods. Yeah. Which kind of had an impact because you were like, they sounded, well, maybe not like me. Morris doesn't really sound like anybody, does it? But certainly they, they, that was part of their influence and their appeal was that they were from from round here. Um, Strangers Here We Come was released on the 28th of September 1987 by Rough Trade Records. It's number two on the UK album charts. What it? it, I do not know. I would have to Wikipedia that. But 1987, probably something crap. Ah, fair enough. (laughs) I don't know. It could be anything. Stayed in the chart for 17 weeks, according to Wikipedia. Right. And I have no reason to doubt the veracity of its claim. (laughs) <laughs> Unlike most of the things on Wikipedia. All the songs written were composed by Johnny Marr, with lyrics written and sung by Morrissey. The Smiths were Morrissey, vocals, Johnny Marr, guitar, keyboards, harmonica, auto harp, synthesised strings and saxophone arrangements. Andy Rourke was the bass guitar. Mike, Mike Joyce was drums and percussion. And that who's who created this seminal record. So the debate on on who has the talent, Morrissey or Ma. Are we having this debate? Before we even get into the record. Maybe, okay, maybe not talent. We're having this debate. Ma did more of the work in the band than Morrissey did. Do you think? All you have to do is look at that list, really. No, Johnny Marr is undoubtedly a supremely gifted musician. Yeah. And his guitar licks, certainly in the Smiths, certainly gave them an edge over the contemporaries at that time Mm. and it certainly gave them a very unique sound I do not think they have as unique a sound without Morrissey's vocals because the guy can't carry a tune in a bucket No, but he doesn't carry a tune spectacularly tunefully because when you think of the Smiths, you think of Morrissey and not Mark. Yeah, you, you do gravitate towards the gladioli swinging, slightly fey yeah. lead singer. That's in, it's, his, it's his voice as well, the fact that it's not a singing voice sticks By out. By any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it, it sticks out massively, and that's the first thing you latch on to. But that's one of the appeals of the band. There was a certain punk ethos to the Smiths not so much from the musician side because Mo is supremely talented yeah. he's not three chords in a cloud of dust mm. he can play lots of different things and has done over his career but Morrissey singing kind of made you think anyone could do it yeah and it's it's pretty much poetry meets music pretty much it's, it's Simon Armitage he was either he inspired the band or the band inspired him mm. or a bit of working both without working together kind of thing yeah but it was yeah, Simon Armitage's poetry is very similar yeah. to Morrissey's lyrics. Because he's, he's from Manchester as well, isn't he? Yeah, I, I believe he's from around that area. Mm. I couldn't tell you exactly where Simon Armitage is from, but he's certainly got our guttural northern accent. Yeah. So he's certainly from our neck of the woods. Yeah, but see, that's the thing, though. Divorced from each other, they still were. You just said just before we sat down to record yeah. that um, some of these would benefit, maybe not benefit, but some of these would work as instrumentals. Yeah. Whereas Morrissey's lyrics work as poetry. You can sit and read them mm. and they work exceptionally well. And they shouldn't work as well as they do together because the working relationship was was quite unusual, wasn't it? Didn't they not like each other? No, it's, I don't think oh. it's not that they didn't like each other. It's, certainly in the early days they got on very well. But didn't, didn't Mark compose music that 
Morrissey then just put lyrics to, or did Morrissey write lyrics and then put them to music that Morris that Mar gave him? It's usually the music and then the lyrics, isn't it? Yeah, but Morrissey works very strangely. Doesn't he? Have, doesn't he just have notebooks, notebooks full of lyrics? That's probably that's that's probably why his voice works hmm. to the to the music because hmm. you can take the two away from each other. They don't they don't fit together. It's music with Morrissey talking over it. In yeah. a similar vein to Metallica and Lou Reed. <laughs> <laughs> You're not quite to that extent. <laughs> I, I actually think Morrissey's kind of flat. Mm. Uh, this charming man vocals over, yeah. over that really jingly jangly, swing your pants, stir at your shoes, <laughs> shoegazing indie guitar. Yeah. Compliment each other. And I think in, that's where the strengths of the band come it's from. It's a really unusual way, though. They're, yeah. they're vastly different. Yes. That work and don't work at the same time. Yeah. And that's shown even more now that they're both doing their own solo stuff. Yeah. In and that they work on their own, but they're no means reaching the no, heights they reach as the Smiths. Yeah, that, that's one of the things, one of the arguments when you have who is the talent hmm. in the band. This isn't one person this isn't a Dave Grohl situation Dave Grohl's doing all the work yeah and the rest of the band you know they may contribute something now but back when the Foo Fighters began Dave Grohl was the Foo Fighters Hmm. and slowly as they've gone along he's allowed other people to write songs and and take control but he's always split the money evenly yeah and that's one of the sticking points with the Smiths wasn't it Morrissey and Ma got more of the money than Mike Joyce and, and the other guy yeah who is the other guy See, you, we, you, we, did, you did say his name. With I did say Mike Joyce and uh, Andy Rourke. Yeah, because there was the famous um, court case, wasn't right. it? Where um, I think it was Andy Rourke said, "I wasn't no session musician. Mm. I was in the Smiths." And Morrissey and Mar got got sued for royalties off them. I don't remember how that panned out. I don't know whether they won or not. Yeah, but it's 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 what split up many a band, isn't it? Yeah, and that division of of royalties equally keeps bands together. Yeah. Whereas traditionally the songwriters get more of the money. Yeah, whether it's right or wrong though, it is the Smiths are Morrissey and Mar. Yeah. That's I'd... what all the documentaries and, and yeah. biographies are called. Yeah, you Mike Joyce can, can say that. But... And he's right. And he's right. But if you were to say who were the Smiths Yeah. Nine times out of ten people say Morrissey and Mar. Mm. And maybe they just say Morrissey. I don't yeah. Know. But that's not really fair, is it? Mm. So anyway, should we delve into the final album in the the Smiths um, the Smiths over one thing we should mention right the Smiths were incredibly prolific for the five six years that they were together mm-hmm. and an awful lot of the songs the the hit singles are on their albums yeah well when you said they only did four albums it's weird because I'm used to louder than bombs and that's a compilation that's album. the American compilation right over here we had two compilations of singles and a couple of b-sides and, and like stuff they did for John Peel yeah hat full of hollow and the world won't listen right and they're generally considered the other two Smith's albums so by yeah. and large they are considered to have produced six albums but they did only actually make four studio albums. Right. The other two records are the singles that they made that they just released and weren't on any albums. So they were pretty much a seven-inch band then? Yeah, pretty much. They were just churning out single after single. Like, yeah. Panic is a single. Yeah. It's not on an album. Ask is a single. Mm. And my favourite, my, my, my all-time favourite Smith song, I went to London and I right. put myself in at the Y, WCA. Half I said, I like it here, can I stay? <laughs> 
I like it here, can I stay? And do you have a vacancy for a back scrubber? Oh, that's one of my favourite Smith songs. No, I think not, not on an album. Yeah. So they are generally considered to have six albums, but they do only actually have four. Mm. And just that's how prolific they were. You know, the, the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long, and they burned so very, very brightly. Yeah. Well, they benefited from breaking up when they did. The they didn't outstay their welcome. They have now maybe Morrissey to an extent. Yeah, you don't remember the current careers. You remember the Smiths. Yeah, and because looking back on it, the Smiths—they did nothing to not be proud about. No, that's well. They didn't. Arguably, didn't break up. Right. Morrissey wanted to go straight back into recording after this came out, and Johnny Marr had said, no, we've done five, six, how many years it was, mm. of um, touring, recording, touring, recording. I want a break. Yeah. And the prevailing theory is that if, if Morrissey said, all right, go and take six months off, come back in six months, we'll recharge, I'll probably have a notebook full of lyrics for you. Right, they'd have stayed They'd together. have probably stayed together, certainly a little bit longer. Maybe we'd have got another album or so out of them. But because Morrissey was very much, no, I want to carry on, we're on a streak. Yeah. And you can, you can see his point. Because, like you said, they, they didn't put a foot wrong. Yeah. Anywhere in their entire catalogue. But that was, it, they were bound to were the longer they stuck at it, though. Yeah, so there is something to be said for the fact that there's a finite body of work there. Four albums, two compilations of singles that didn't make albums. Mm. The legacy is untarnished by comeback tours. Yeah. Because they have steadfastly refused to get back together. I don't know who that is, because. That would surely be ka-ching yeah, yeah. if the Smiths got back together. But whether or not it's Morrissey and Ma realising that no, too much time has passed, or whether one of them is, I am never playing with him again, mm. or what have you, I don't know. Because Ma and Morrissey both still play Smiths songs in their sets. Yeah, they do. So it's not Big like... Big Mouth is a staple in Marshalls. Yeah, well, d- does Morrissey not play that one? Morrissey does play it, and what's interesting is Morrissey's backing band don't play it as well as Mar does well, on his own. Well, they're not going to, are they? Suppose, yeah. But what's the singing like on Big Mouth Strikes again? Well, it's Morrissey, isn't it? Yeah, but what's it like when Mar does it? It's, it's one of those things where it's two parts of a song that are all right when they're on their own, but you put it together. So they're both separate pieces... That work, the mm. guitar and the vocals that they play separately, and you can tell they're not the same song, mm. but the two parts of what makes the same song. Yeah. I'm trying to explain it, and I'm not sure I'm doing a good job. Yeah, you're, you're doing fine with it. See, my only problem with Morris, and let's get this out of the way before we, we start, we appreciate the Smiths immensely. Yeah. Both of us love the Smiths. I, we're, we're not blind to the fact that Morris is a prima donna. No. Are we? No. And this is worth divorcing the artist from the work. Which... I think it's a benefit to it's, many yeah, of people. It's a benefit to many an actor there are, who fire the mouth off on yeah. Stu- Sean Penn. Um, <laughs> I can't stand Sean Penn. There, there are certain bands where I feel it's a lot better. I won't name names. No, go on. Uh, the, okay, Lost Profits. Yeah. Um, the Lost Profits are a band and they did the music and that's it. Hmm. What Ian Watkins did is completely set, despite being the same person. Hmm. Um, so what Ian Watkins did has not ruined Lost Profits for you? No, it's not. And I've got a lot of weird looks from saying that, but I, I, I can kind of see where they're coming from. But yeah. 
if I listen to The Lost Prophets, I don't say, oh, right, so that's what he meant by singing that. No, it's not. It's too... Yeah, because it's like the Jimmy Savile thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, Jim will fix it. It's never <laughs> going to get repeated anywhere. Yeah. On UK Gold or Dave or whatever. And any of those Doctor Who DVDs that have Jimmy Savile on them, because right. there is a Colin Baker one yeah. that has a Jim will, Savile, Jim will fix it sketch on it. <laughs> right. If that is ever repressed, you can guarantee that sketch will not be on anymore. Yeah. Because what the guy did was reprehensible. Mm. Morris is not that bad. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Morris has never done anything to that degree. But um, he is one of those people that we've seen him in concert. Have we seen him twice? Twice? Me and your mum? Uh, yeah, I think you two are. Have we seen him twice? And when you go to his concert, it's all cooking tofu. Yeah, it's the thing... He with, doesn't allow hamburgers. The thing with Morrissey is he played Glastonbury a few years ago and he refused to come on stage until the vending machines and the, the caravans and that. See, you can't so, do that at Glastonbury. That's not your gig. Yeah, the thing with it as well is what he's doing is... You know, it's it's a, a noble cause to encourage and to promote that kind of to promote vegetarianism. Exactly, yeah. But the way he goes about it, yeah, he, the way he goes you about can't it, force it upon people. No, and by forcing it upon people, you just make us. You certainly me. Do you know what I'm like? Want a burger you just make me, Well, your mum. <laughs> I love your mum. We came out of the Morrissey gig. It was good. Gig was fine. Gig was at Manchester. Um, the one near Oxford Road. The big. Like, were they have venues for um, conventions the and stuff? Academy? No, the it's not. Apollo? It was bigger. The, no, it it's bigger than that. It's the one as you get off. As you, the what, love? Manchester Central. Right, okay. So it's, it's a moderately big gig place. And we came out of that, and the first thing your mum said is I could murder a hamburger. <laughs> and Joanne, who was with us, said, You can't say that if we've just been seeing. And your mum said something brilliant like, I don't care if we've just been seeing. He's the vegetarian, not me. <laughs> Yeah. And that's generally the, where I come from with it. I I think I'm one of those tolerant people going, <laughs> by and large. Honestly. Okay. <laughs> you remain unconvinced. <laughs> no, carry on. I don't care if you smoke. I don't care if you're a vegetarian. I don't care if you're a vegan. Whatever floats your personal boat. Right. But if we're going to hang out and be mates and you're a vegan or a vegetarian or a smoker or whatever, if you want to go off and do it and kill yourself, feel free. I don't care. But if we go out for a meal, except I'm going to buy a steak... Yeah. And do not preach at me. Because I'm not going to sit there and preach at you for eating tofu. <laughs> you, you eat as much tofu as you want. That's not, you know, it's not for me to say you are wrong. Yeah. And that's basically my problem with Morrissey's way of doing it. Is he basically preaches that you are wrong for not being a vegetarian. To name an album, Meat is Murder. It's not, though, is it? <laughs> it's death for no reason, and death for no reason is murder. No, it's not. It's not one of his better lyrics. It's it's not. No, it's honest. not. He's most subtle, either. <laughs> In any way, <laughs> shape, form, or fashion. But now that we've established that, you know, this is, this is our love of the band, the Smiths, yeah. we may have whatever personal issues we have with Morrissey, but we do genuinely love the Smiths. Mm. The first track on the album, Strange Ways Here We Come, is A Rush and a Push and the Land is Ours. Here it is. Yeah. 
So that was a rush and a push and the land is ours. I like the piano much. Yeah, I like very much at the, the beginning. The introduction, it eases you into the album. Mm. And I like there's a quiet, there's there's a, there's a definite build-up and then the song kicks in proper. Mm. So it's a good opening track yeah. for the record. Was a rush and a push a single? I, I don't recall. No, it, it was not. Single. It was not, no, because there was four singles off this record. E- which is about normal. Into yeah, it. yeah. The track four, "Girlfriend in a Coma," was um, a single. Stop me, if you think stop about. me. If you think last night I dreamt somebody loved me, was that a single? If it was, they cut off the first three minutes. They probably needed to. Yeah, because that's very definitely an album introduction. Into I don't remember which ones were the singles. Cause what the, it is, it's an introduction to the B side, isn't it? Pretty much, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So a rush and a push is is the beginning to the record. As we've established, the lyrics do work on their own. What do you think this one's about? I don't, I don't know, to be honest. And does it's, that really affect your enjoyment of it? To not know, because um, with music, the more you listen to it, the more you get out of it, isn't it? Mm. You take different things from it when you... And again, it's, it depends on the person. There's an but, awful lot of people as well who listen to music and don't listen to the lyrics. Yeah. Which is why so many pop bands can get away with, Ooh, I love you, as lyrics. Well, me and Adam were discussing this the other day. When you think about the lyrics in some of the old, um, early 2000s pop hits that they played at school discos, mm. Ooh, 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 I want you in my room, let's spend the night together, make it last forever. Well, hey. Exactly. <laughs> That's a skill disco song. It is. It's it's quite what's it? It is. <laughs> so a rush and a push. It's a good way to introduce the album. It's it's got some interesting instrumental instrumentalization by Mr. Ma. Mm. It's not one of the strongest Smith songs. Um, it's definitely uh, every song on this album is a lot more polished than every other ones they've done. Certainly, what from the the debut, the Smiths. Yeah. That album is rough as hell. Mm, and that but added that's, to it. Yeah, but that's charm. part of its appeal, isn't it? And even Morrissey's vocalisation, he's come a long way from the debut record. Yeah, I think this one is definitely the cleanest and most professional sounding album. Well, didn't... What's his name? Didn't Steven, wasn't Stephen Street something to do with this? Oh, no, it's Steve Williams, not Stephen Street. Oh, yeah, Stephen Street. Yeah. So Stephen Street was something to do with that. Mm. So he's the reason that Kirsty McCall is on a lot of The Queen is Dead. Right. Because wasn't Stephen Street and Kirsty McCall, weren't they a thing at some point? I don't know. But Kirsty McCall did a lot of backing vocals mm. at that time. She's she's backing vocals on a couple of Talking Heads tracks as well, I'm sure she is. Right. That, weren't they also produced by Stephen Street? So there's there's that <laughs> there's that link there before Kirsty McCall went off and, you know, did There's a Guy Works Down the Ship Shops Where He's Elvis But He's a Liar and I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure about, about you. you. I loved Kirsty McCall. Mm. She was great. So, yeah, so it's, it's a good opening track to the record. It's not necessarily one of the strongest Smith's al- uh, records, sorry, sorry, tracks. Yeah. But it eases you into this particular album. And this, what's good about this album is it does work as a whole, which mm. is one of the things that is one of the criteria for long play that the album is what we're celebrating rather than a yeah. collection of singles which is why I didn't pick something like The the, the World Won't Listen or Half a Love Hollow I almost went for Meet His Murder right but I actually genuinely don't like the title track Meet His Murder I'm not a big fan of the album and you know I like How, How Soon Is Now is great yeah yeah um, that's an undeniable masterpiece mm. but uh, so it was then a toss between this 
and the other Queen is Dead felt too obvious. Yeah. So that's why we went with, with Strange Ways. So the the first one was that. So here's the second one. I started something I couldn't finish. It's now. got a proper jingly jangly guitar. Yeah, it's got the rough sounding guitar. Yeah, from it, Johnny Marr. There's a nice poppy drum beat. Yeah, it's a very poppy song, yeah. despite being about the friend zone. <laughs> yeah. Which is cl- this one clearly has a point. Mm. That's what it's about. It's about taking your friend and perhaps pushing it too far into a different place. And now Morris is like, clearly oh, we shouldn't have done that, should we? <laughs> Oh, that was a bit uncomfortable. I want to think about Morrissey's Morrissey's songs. Is there was that whole thing for the longest time of was he gay or was he not gay? Right. Yeah. And even now, he still plays the ambiguous thing. Yeah. Doesn't he? I mean, I think he, he's he's plainly come down on the side of yeah. If I was, I probably would be. Mm. But he he seems kind of asexual in a way, doesn't he? He seems like he just doesn't have any interest in sex. Kind of like the. An inverted David Bowie. Yeah. Whereas David Bowie was an androgynous, but, you know... He was very outwards about it. Yeah, Morrissey's kind of just, he'd much rather have a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of impression you get from Morrissey. Just swing some flowers about. Yeah, swing his laddie all Ireland <laughs> while he's on top of the pops and beat somebody over the head with him. But why, what this one is interesting about this one, as with a lot of Smith's love songs, because mm. they never wrote a conventional love song. No. Again, it was very Simon Armitage poetry. Yeah, very poetry one. His the way he always worded it was he didn't he didn't he never used he or she. Yeah, it, so, it could be about anyone. Yeah, so you and as a listener, whatever gender, yeah, whatever sexual orientation, you could listen to it and get out of it what you wanted to get out of it. Hmm. And was he one of the first people to kind of do that? I don't know, because I know Stipe did that a lot in REM. Yeah, he wouldn't use he or she in his love songs and again they didn't really do that many conventional love songs mm. I do wonder how much that that in, cuts off a potential revenue stream I don't know with with Morrissey um, there's never that thing of it comes on either way mm. but I think it wasn't 
um, I only found out recently about Michael Stipe actually it was never just a thing mm. it was like oh right okay didn't know that but when you listen to R.E.M. It's, it does come down on one particular side do you think? yeah see this, I never got that listening to it now knowing about him I think it kind of does feel like that yeah See, the only one I think, even at My Most Beautiful, which was from Up, yeah, even that, he doesn't actually say he or she. I found a way she. to make her. No, he says I found a way to make you, doesn't he? I thought it was her. I thought I found a way to make you smile. It is. I you. read bad poetry. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so he never actually says one side or the other. And I wonder if that was slightly influenced by the Smith, that essentially did the same thing. Yeah. R- roughly contemporaneously. You know, they came into being at roughly the same time the Smiths did. Hmm. And maybe you could argue a case that they should have stopped after New Adventures in Hi-Fi. Right. And they wouldn't have had a tarnished legacy. Yes. This, which is what we were talking about earlier. The Smiths don't have a tarnished legacy. Whereas there's a lot of R.E.M. And you and too. Yeah, yeah. To be fair. Yeah. That that's, that's maybe they went on a little bit too long. I suppose. So yeah, so this one's about the friend zone. Yeah. Quite clearly. And as you said, this is I, this is why I think this one was probably a single. Because it, it's it's quintessentially Smiths. Without actually being miserable. Well, that's something we should discuss. Do you think the Smiths are miserable? They're uh, miserably whimsical. Whimsically miserable. I never got miserable from the Smiths. What it is, it's miserable subjects, but the way Morrissey writes about it in the light, it's. He's the kind of guy who can make you laugh at a funeral. Yeah, whimsical is the perfect way to describe it. Well done. Because yeah, I never got when people used to say to me when I used to say I like the Smiths when I was like eighteen, nineteen, into my early twenties, and they were miserable. I was like, have you actually listened to them? <laughs> yes, Morrissey's voice has that timbre of miserabilism. Yeah, but th- I find them frequently hysterical. It's yeah, it's it's that kind of humour that's hidden beneath a level of yeah. That kind of... Because even this one, even this one's funny. I grabbed you by the gilded beams, that's what tradition means, when I doused another venture with a gesture that was absolutely vile. Yeah. It's it's like... If what's-his-name from Strictly? What's-his-name? Ah, oh, ghastly darling. Oh, Taglatelli. Is that his name? <laughs> um, Craig Rebel Harwood. Oh, Craig right, Rebel yeah. Harwood wrote pop songs. <laughs> yeah. They would be the Smiths, wouldn't they? I suppose. Yeah. And it, a lot of it is down to Morrissey's delivery. I mean, if you've ever heard anyone cover... Smith songs. Yeah. It's never quite as good. Even There's when it's a good version. The recent, I say recent, it was a few years ago, the John Lewis Christmas advert with yeah. Please, please, with please. Please, please, let me get what I want this time, which is yeah. on the track up. So we'll be yeah. discussing that later. And Natalie Merchant did a version of Every Day is Like Sunday. And She and Him, which right. is Zoe Dischanel, did, what did they do? They did Please, Please, Let Me Get What I Want, didn't they? Did they? For, for that film with Twilight Chick in it. What was it called, that? Wednesdayland, Futureland. Adventureland. Adventureland. Right. They did Please Let Me Get What I Want this time, didn't they? Right, okay. And that one wasn't awful, because I quite like Zoe Deschanel's voice. Yeah. But it's still, it's not quite right, because it's not the Smiths. But even when Sandy Shaw did a Smith song with the Smiths, it still didn't sound quite right. Right. So there is that thing that they have written songs that are perfect for, for them, them, that are almost uncoverable yeah. by anybody else. But they have that massive legacy that people will always cover them. Yeah, and Morrissey's just not a fan of people covering his song. No. But Morrissey's not a fan of a lot of things, let's be honest. He's not. The best, coming back to the whole miserable and funny part, though, the best song that 
kind of yeah. the best example of that is Cemetery Gates. Yeah, I dreaded Sunny Death. Exactly, yeah, that's the best kind of. It's a summary of everything that the Smiths were. Yeah, like for all those people who like look out when it's summer and they're like, you should wear your shorts. And you're like, I don't want to. Yeah. A dreaded sunny day. It's, yeah, it's all, that's why the Queen is Dead almost made the, the pick. Right. But ultimately I went for Strange Ways. Because, uh, like you, I think it's a, a cohesive record. I think yeah. it stands up as a, a listen from beginning to end. I still think it works as a whole. Track three on Strange Ways Here We Come is The Death of a Disco Dancer. Disco dancer Well it happens a lot around here And if you think peace is a common goal that goes to show how little you know <laughs> It is shoegazing isn't it? It is This is the kind of music you listen to when you want to take a bath with a toaster <laughs> You were just saying it wasn't miserable, and I'm laughing at what I just said. So, rather not get involved. Pull that bit, Mars guitar. It's just brilliant. What was interesting is uh, Morrissey's vocals are very different on that one as well. Yeah, um, very kind of slow about it. Yeah. But with Ma, um, one of the I'm, you know I'm a big video game soundtrack guy. Mm. Now listen to the Silent Hill soundtracks. You can hear a lot because primarily that's a guy playing on his guitar and he's rock band. Mm. And you can there's little kind of bits where it's that sounds similar to bits on the Smiths. And when I went watching the composer Kira Yamaoka play live. And uh, seeing a lot of bands in Manchester, they always do that. Oh, 
we love Manchester bands. He said, oh yeah, I was, like the Smiths were quite a big influence on me. And you can definitely hear that in the music. Mm. So it's kind of interesting to see... Akira Yamaoka composed Silent Hill Games, which are horror. That took elements from Johnny Marr. And to hear Johnny Marr play something like eerily similar to someone who was influenced by him mm. is quite interesting to see... But to see Johnny Marr playing something that was influenced by Johnny Marr but isn't actually a Johnny Marr composition. Yeah. Right. Well, to see Johnny Marr play something that sounds like something it was inspired by despite Johnny Marr not knowing that someone would be inspired by him <laughs> in Japan <laughs> a few years down the line. Were the Smiths big in Japan? I've no idea. Because they do write quite poppy yeah. three-minute pop songs, don't they? There's no seven-minute guitar solos in a Smith song. Mm. The closest is probably How Soon Is Now. Yeah. Oh, so that's the closest that we get to a self-indulgent slash style stand on top of the mountain while the helicopter spins around <laughs> you guitar riff. Yeah. But even that, it's 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 a guitar riff filtered through the lens of Johnny Marr. Mm. So that by itself makes it interesting. Yeah. And slightly different. So. And they were pretty much a pop band. Yeah, but Morrissey was very much, he wanted to be on top of the pop. He was, like, uh, with all the different levels they kind of work on. Yeah. It's it's pop with, again, poetry. Yeah. it's it's The Smiths are a very curious combination. Yeah. Of all, lots of disparate influences. With a vocalist who really shouldn't be singing. Hmm. With a guitarist who really shouldn't compliment that vocalist. Yeah. With a pop sensibility, mm. but with, like, indie street cred. It's kind of like, what if Yeats was on top of the pops with Beaver? <laughs> what if Yeats wrote B-52 songs? Yeah. Oh, what if, yeah, yeah, what if, what if, what if Stephen, Stephen Armitage wrote Spice Girls songs? Yeah. That's essentially what it is, isn't it? The, the, the melodies and the, the feel of it is very much Morrissey wanted to be on top of the pops. He wanted to be a pop singer. Yeah. That's what he wanted to be. He wasn't interested in anything else. But there's just so much, like you said, there's so much going on. And there's so many other ways to appreciate what they were doing. It depends on the listener. <coughs> if you want to listen to it as just a miserable a song, song yeah. or a poppy song, or if you, you know, you can you can analyse it in GCSE English. Yeah, and, and they have been. By you, I think. Uh, we covered, again, Simon Armitage, but the, 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 it kind of has to be mentioned, mm. the impact that the Smiths and Armitage had on each other. Yeah, my thing with the Smiths is I don't think they were influential enough. Right. Certainly, there's not as many pop bands that came down the the pike after the Smiths that were as lyrically interesting as the Smiths were. It's it's, pop kind of lost its way, really, when it became more of the business than the music. So you're going back to the Monkees, the first manufactured pop band. Oh, I suppose. And so it's all downhill from that. Even the Beatles were as well, weren't they? Well, the Beatles weren't manufactured. Well, no, that's not strictly true. Epstein found them and cultivated an image. Yeah. But they were clearly talented musicians in their own right, and they went their own way. Mm. So I don't think you can really argue that the... I mean, like Paul McCartney said, John Lennon didn't kick and scream when we took him to get the mop-top haircut and we all started wearing suits. Yeah. So... There's a certain element of cultivating an image that, that has made them successful, but musically the music still holds up. Mm. Whereas the Smiths didn't really have an image. You know, Mor- the, the overriding image of Morrissey that sticks in everybody's head is this tall, lanky guy with the big quiff, yeah. with the pants that don't fit him, with the and shirt that doesn't fasten, yeah. swinging his gladioli around. 
Yeah. So it's it's not like the Smiths had a fashionable image to that copy. That was the whole point of Morrissey's act, though, wasn't it? What, to not have an image? To not confine to any stereotypical images of who else is on top of the pops. I don't, because... He if never you... stood behind a synthesizer in a suit... No, no, no. It, it was always different, and I think ultimately that's what's that's what's contributed to the legacy, isn't it? If you watch eighties yeah. Top of the Pops, some of it is horrendously dated, and then the Smiths come on, yeah, and it's not dated. Maybe Johnny Marr. M- musically, they're not dated. No, I, I don't. Th- I think you can watch the performances on Top of the Pops. Yeah, definitely. But again, with Morrissey, the way he looks, it's definitely eighties. Yeah, but he still looks the same. Uh, that's that's true, yeah. <laughs> that's, He's just got a bigger chin. Yeah. Bruce Campbell of pop. And if you want to look at it uh, that way, he's a depressing man who's trying to relive his former glory days. Yeah, well, because he had that cancer scare recently, didn't he? And he was very, well, if I die, I die. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, because there any more Morrissey quote <laughs> than that? <laughs> well, speaking of typically Morrissey, the mm. next track on, on the record is... The quintessential Smith song? I think so, yeah. Girlfriend in a coma. Because that is just so jolly to start off with, isn't it? And then Morrissey kicks in. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know. Like, this He's is already started the tone low. Yeah, I mean, this is where you get the reputation from. But I, I think this is just a beautiful song. Because yeah. it's about loss. And it's about accepting the loss. Because you start the song off where he's talking about his girlfriend and how they have arguments. So this just counteracts what we've just said about yeah. his songs being non-gender specific. But this particular one is very much girlfriend and come. And he's talking about having arguments and sometimes they don't get on. And then that line, you know, I don't want to see her. And then he switches rapidly, like, do you think she's going to pull through? Yeah. And then you suddenly realise what the song's about. I mean, the title gives it away. Yeah. It's not like the title hides its lights under a bush, under a Gary Bush. But um, just the way it, it just changes like that, all of a sudden. It's keeping you as a listener kind of on your toes. Yeah. Because like, it, it, it drags you into the story. Yeah. If you're looking at it as a story with all these characters and Morris is just the narrator, it's pulling you in and keeping you... What's, what's happening yeah and there's, there's it's just the way that it just builds up and then it changes again because all the times and he's thinking about all the times I could have struggled and all the times we argued it's but I don't want anything to happen to her it's following his train of thought yeah to keep it all over the place like yeah because he's trying to wrap his head around what's happened to us and for the purposes of the audience we never find out what did happen to us she didn't crash she ran over was she not on a bike whatever yeah that's not the point of the song so you don't have to know any of that but then the kidney's kicker ending when you realise that there isn't a happy ending yeah she's not pulling through but underneath that is even in Do You Really Think She'll Pull Through it's got a jingly jangly guitar yeah. riff but underneath that is quite a sinister string mm. um, it's not an orchestra it's probably just a violin mm. but quite dark and deep uh, and, and the strings by Johnny Ma. right yeah so you've got all that with the jingly jangly stuff on top so that's three different levels though yeah and it's just it's, it's such 
I think I think Girlfriend of Coma is, is just uh, a. I think it's a song of pure genius mm. with no hyperbole. It's, I genuinely it's, it's think it's only about two minutes or so long. It's isn't it? not very long at all. Yeah, it's two minutes two seconds. Right. And in two minutes and two seconds, they not only catch you with that irresistible guitar hook mm. that is going on, but yeah, there's that underlining feeling of melancholy. But then the lyrics are all over the place as you're listening to it, and you find yourself listening to it, willing her to come through this. Mm. And then you get that kick of Twilight Zone ending, let me say my last goodbye, she's not going to survive. Yeah. And it's it's absolutely heartbreakingly beautiful. And it's absolutely stunning piece of songwriting from both Morrissey and Mark. That yeah. song doesn't work without that jingly jangly yeah. guitar going on in the background. Because that like's totally upbeat. And you're like, what's these conflicting emotions that this song is causing in me? Yeah. And it's... I. I, I, see it's one of those things you ask me tomorrow what my favourite Smith song is and I'll give you a different answer yeah and ask me the day after that I will give you a different answer I've, I've stuck to the same one to be honest what's your favourite um, Reel Around the Fountain is Reel Around the Fountain your favourite yeah. one that's a weird choice why is that your favourite one I, I don't know there's just something about it that Reel I Around just, the Fountain yeah it's just that apologetically bleak uh, is that the one about the Moors murderers I don't know. There's a song on the Smiths about the Moors murderers. It's what I like. Oh, is that Stuff for Little Children? That's Stuff for Little Children. I think with a title like that. Yeah, yeah, he's not, again, not very yeah. like under a Gary Bushel. But with Reel Around the, F- <laughs> Reel Around the Fountain, it's a, a kind of an apology. Yeah. And then it kicks into a, like a teenage coming of age love story. Which is what he was so good at capturing what teenagers, alienated teenagers, were feeling. Mm. But this, this girlfriend in a coma isn't that. There's it's just it's it's just achingly beautiful mm. as a song, and there's so much going on, and the lyrics are just that little gut punch at the end, and like you say, his mind's all over the place because he doesn't want to accept it, yeah. but he's got really no choice but to accept it, and well, uh, what am I going to do now? And I like that it is all about him because mm. that's what it's like when something like that happens. It's it's about you. How does it affect you? Yeah, because that's what the human race is like, and. I, I don't want to say it's the quintessential Smith song. Right. But it is. Yeah. It's it's one of them up there. It's either that or There's a Light. There is a Light is very close. Mm. And so is probably How Soon Is Now. Yeah. But I, I think I'd always come down and Girlfriend in a Coma. Because to me that encapsulates everything that the Smiths were. Jingly jangly indie guitar pop. Yeah. Jolly little happy guitar. Wow, Johnny Marr's a genius. Wait a minute, <laughs> what's this mopey guy saying? Yeah, it's the music and the lyrics both complement and betray each other. Mm. And, but, but in doing that, yeah. they just combine to make something sublime. It's, it's unique, yeah. Yeah, I think that's why no one's ever been able to cover them. And no one's ever been able to do what they do better than they did. They just... They had a character that no one else has been able to replicate. Which is probably why, 30-odd years later, they are still speaking to people. Yeah. Like, me, who was there when they were around, and you, who wasn't even born... When they broke up. When they broke up. Yeah. So, you know, they broke up in 1987... Mm. You're a, you're nearly a decade away from appearing at that point. What what is it about? Because of all of our musical tastes, we have a little bit of a crossover. I don't actively detest anything you listen to. Mm, I think it's a bit more than a little bit of a crossover. To be yeah, all right, there's quite a lot of a crossover. But your mum seems to be of the opinion you're more her side of the fence. But your mum's Rocky Guns and Roses. 
And I quite like a bit of Guns N' Roses. I don't mind a bit of Guns N' Roses. November Rain's like the best one. I have a November Rain! There was a while ago when, uh, in my Star Wars t-shirt, mm-hmm. I'm listening to R.E.M. Because since I started going to uni, I've gotten a lot more into R.E.M. You're a college student. And I sat there going, shit, I'm a dad. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was listening to in college. But you also like the other end of the You like Kiss. Yeah. And you like the rockier stuff. And then at the other end, you like what your your no name cunt in the gang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your cunt. little indie bots and, and noodling. And then like there's a bit of um, uh, uh, punk dancing. Like, yeah, I, 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 like you loved um, Daft, Daft Punk. Daft Punk, LCD Sound System are a big one. Bruce Springsteen and, and Springsteen as well. It's... You've got quite an eclectic taste. Yeah. And how much of that <laughs> is you? And how much of that is what you were exposed to because of me and your mum? And that's kind of coalesced in you yeah. as its own unique thing. I mean, a lot of it is you and mum, but I, I didn't I didn't grow up on Springsteen or Neil Young. No, no, because I'd never really listened to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. I got a, I've got a bit of Neil Young, mm. but I wouldn't consider myself a huge Neil Young fan. But beyond the singles, I didn't really know anything about Bruce Springsteen. I never, yeah. I never really latched onto Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, in the same way this is almost quintessentially British which is not to say it can't be appreciated by people in other countries. Yeah. Springsteen, to me, was quintessentially American. Oh, yeah, definitely. In the sense that he was talking about the same thing that attracted me to the Smiths, that the iconography was of Manchester and the North, and that's where they were from, and that was the references. It's Manchester, it's brutal, as someone... So the references were... I get that reference. Yeah. Springsteen's references are almost totally from where he's from, which is New Jersey, isn't it? Yeah. And that that kind of I'm not going to say it left me cold because I appreciate him but it's not it didn't speak to me to quote Morrissey yeah it didn't say anything to me about my life it's more the opposite for me to be honest it's yeah it's one of those oh I appreciate that reference and that but it's it's Britain I don't care about Britain I live here I see it every day (laughs) but it's Springsteen represented the American dream Hmm. and in his songs in his albums it's always what is the American dream? Does it work? Is it just a dream? Mm. Um, a lot of his albums are just commentaries on uh, Born in the USA is the negative connotations of what the American dream was in the 80s. Right. And with other stuff like The River, it's trying to live with what you have as a grown-up. And Born to Run is the stupid, childish dreams you have growing up. And it's always the different aspects of the American dream. See, and that's the th- it's it's he writes very much from where he comes from. Yeah, and so does Morrissey, and so I latched on more to Morrissey because he represented where I came from. Mm. Whereas you, I'm latching on to that dream, on to Springsteen because yeah. you've got that. You've just, you've, I think you've just got ambition. Okay, and he Springsteen represents an ambition. Yeah, he represents uh, he represents his country as he would like it to be. Mm. and you can relate to that whatever country you're from. I've said this before when we talk about Captain America. Superman is truth, justice in the American way, but get two people together, even Americans, yeah. and they will not know, they probably won't agree on what the American way is. The American dream mm. is applicable all over the world. The dream of being free, the dream of living your life as you want to live it, yeah. the dream of living in a country that welcomes everybody with open arms. Now, I'm not saying that they always that every country lives up to that, mm. but it's certainly there as an aspiration. Yeah, yeah. But Morris is much more 
he's much more Manchester. He's much more. God, it's, is it raining again? Yeah, it's. It, <coughs> excuse me. The Smiths isn't. They, they don't speak about the dream. They speak about the harsh reality. Yeah, the Smiths. The Smiths are welcome your downtrodden masses. The Smiths are the downtrodden masses. Yeah. This isn't, and they don't interpret that as a welcome, this is your new beginning. Mm. The Smiths' is downtrodden masses, this is where we live, in the shit <laughs> and the piss and the mire, and this is what life is, deal with it. Yeah. And that's the difference between the two of them, I think. So that's quite interesting. So why, when did you get into the, who got you into the Smiths? Was it just me? It, it probably was, Or yeah. did you kind of, because a lot of people, a lot of kids rebel against what the parents like. Well, it was always growing up with R.E.M., uh, The Smiths, Mannix, mm. uh, Guns N' Roses, Bush, and it's... The it's, Fighters, Nirvana. Yeah, it's the, but it's only when I actively became aware of it. Mm. Like, it was always there, I always knew what it was, but only, you know, in the past couple of years, five, six years, that I've actually become aware of it, and then you start respecting it more and having more of an interest in it. Because it's different to be... It's different to acknowledge something than mm. it is to be aware of something. Mm. Like, you can acknowledge anything that's happening, but it's whether you're aware of it and become more invested into it. Mm. And so, it, it's kind of like a switch. Like, a few years ago, it's like, right, the Smiths are a thing. And I listened to a lot of them. I had the radio on an MP3 player, so I listened to a lot of um, Mark Kermode. And so there's a lot of that playing into it as well. Matt Radcliffe. Like, yeah, Matt Radcliffe. No, Matt, Matt Kermode does the film reviews. He does, he does. that's a bit different. <laughs> Although yeah. Matt Kermode was on Matt Radcliffe a lot yeah, back yeah. in the, in the so early yeah. days of uh, uh, the Manchester it was, stuff. It was uh, Radcliffe and McConaughey. On oh, Six Music? It was very... Uh, oh, with, with no, the film Radio the, 2 at that point. Radio 2 at that right. point. Um, eight until now. Eight until ten. Yeah. I remember that. So you, I used to listen to Radcliffe when he was on Ten Till Midnight. Yeah. When it was him and the boy Lard. Right. And the, they were kind of like the acceptable edge of John Peel. Right. They were they would play a little bit more populist than Peel would, mm. but at the same time they would still champion lots of new bands. Ash were first on Radcliffe, yeah. and this is one of my favourite interviews with them. They were all still only fifteen, so right. they had to leave early to go because the next day they had the GCSE exams. Right. So they were on Matt Radcliffe at night, and yeah. the next day they were doing GCSEs. Right. So Ash, I've always liked a little bit of Ash. Mm. So all right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it was, it was just that you know maybe I should listen to more of them and I did and then it's like oh right it's not just the background music mm. that my parents listen to it's now something that is a part of my musical interests mm. I think the Smiths are genius mm. genuinely do think they're genius uh, track five because we've only got five tracks into this 10 track album this is Stop Me If You Think You've Heard This One Before almost another quintessential Smiths opening <laughs> If you can't reach Morrissey's notes, you've got problems, haven't you? Do you want to get the book in? One of my favourite of Morris's lyrical couplets. 
Produced by Mark Ronson. And oh, was, was that at Amy Winehouse? No. I know the one you mean. It was, it was a guy. Oh, God, yeah. Daniel Merriweather. Right. Was the guy who did the, the, the singing on that, which credited to Mark Ronson, isn't it? Yeah, he produced it. More famous for the bicycle song. <laughs> well, maybe not more when famous. When you say more famous, you mean you remember the bicycle song. Many I like the bicycle song. <laughs> So that, so that one works as well. I do like that if you if you go on YouTube, there's a picture of Spider Jerusalem on the Matt Rosson cover of Stop Me if you think you've heard this one before. I don't know why. I don't know why that would be there, but that, that's, you gotta love a little bit of comics. I mean, because it's me and you. And so, it's, it's one of those things where that single then became big again because that was his single. Mm. Do you think his version's as good as the Smith's version? No, it doesn't, it doesn't hold a candle. Oh, right. Because there is a light that never goes out. Again, the line delivery of it. You can sing a Morrissey song, or you can sing Morrissey lyrics, essentially, but you can't deliver it like Morrissey. No. Uh, and no one can. So, you know, he, I'm sure he made a few a few pounds off uh, Morrissey and Mars' work. Yeah, but I'm also certain that um, Morrissey and Mars made some money off his yeah. cover of that. Yeah. Um, but you can... Anyone can cover a Smith song, but nobody can cover Morrissey. Yeah, nobody's Morrissey and Matt. Yeah. So you can sit, you can be saying the same lyrics, but it doesn't mean anything coming out of anyone's mouth other than Morrissey. Hmm. That's why, yeah, that's what we discussed earlier on. I don't think Smith's covers work, because mm. it's not the Smiths. And that's the really thing about the Beatles. Be- loads of people's and Beatles covers have made excellent stabs at them. Yeah, and you'd think that they would be Beatles songs, but Beatles songs are now like public domain, mm. and everyone does their interpretation of it. But no one's covered a Smith song yet that's made me think that's as good as the original. Yeah, well, the I mean they're never going to be better. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, with Neil Young actually, like my favorite, I mean the Beatles, my favorite Beatles song, "Day in the Life." I first heard when Neil Young played it. Right, and with with covering songs as well, with with stop me you think you've heard this one before. That the, the lyric you said with a, the bald priest nun, the Buddhist, the Buddhist. <laughs> there we go, the bald priest nun. 
That's a completely different story. This bald priest nun walks into a bar. <laughs> yeah, but with that is stop me if you think you've heard this one before. That's not funny coming out from anyone. No, other than the other than Morris. Yeah, it's it, but from Morris coming out when it did as well. Yeah, it's like I've just fell on my crash bar and hurt my balls. <laughs> my knackers are hurting. It would make a bald Buddhist reflect on planning a mass murder. That's how painful it was. That's yeah. a funny line. And when they did the cover, it's well, it's just just another line, isn't mm, it? Yeah, it's not as it's not as good when when Morrissey doesn't do it. Uh, track six. Last night I dreamt somebody loved me. The Smiths at the most melancholy and miserable. This intro... Possibly the most experimental as well. Yeah, possibly the most experimental that they ever got. It's probably one of the longest songs that they've done as well. Because this one comes out at five minutes. I think I think the only one longer than that would probably be How Soon Is Now. Mm. Which is... Sad. I can't remember how long How Soon Is Now is. Didn't they do a New York edit? There, there's a 12-inch version of How Soon Is Now as well. Yeah, yeah so, so that's quite lengthy. So the beginning of this one goes on for quite some considerable time. And it's nothing other than piano and screaming. Yeah. And it's if this was a single, they probably lost this. They did. It's that version's on the Sound of the Smiths. Is it? Yeah. The one without this? It just starts in with a... Tlum. There's nothing actually wrong with this intro. No, it's it, it, it feels like it's the first track on the B-side. Yeah. Or the 12-inch. Well, yeah, that's what I mean, the B-side of the yeah. LP. 12 inches went off for about 7 or 8 minutes. I can't remember. And the 12 inches is your standard record size. I know, but do you not remember 12-inch singles? Of course you won't remember 12-inch <laughs> singles. Basically, what they did with 12-inch singles was they took a normal four-minute song and padded it out to eight minutes. Fool's Gold. Yes, Fool's Gold. Right. And New Order. Right. New Order did it with Blue Monday. That goes on forever. <laughs> the 12-inch version of Blue Monday. It's a good song, normally. Yeah. And then it goes on forever. Like this, in many ways. Yeah, well, I really like this song because of the intro as well. Yeah. Yeah. See, I was thinking they should, should cut this. I suppose as a single, but as a, a song in the album, it's, I, it's so atmospheric that you just get dragged into it, and mostly it's the echoey piano. And uh, the screaming. Why screaming? Well, this piano's Morrison. Is it? Yeah. Right. But it's the screaming as well. And there we go. And then the song kicks that Dramatic pounding that kicks it in as well. I suppose if you're listening to it in the dark with your headphones. That's and just that, giving that's, you a jolt. Yeah, and then suddenly that's just walk you up. Yeah. This is Morrissey at his self-pitying best. Please, Last, please. Uh, maybe please, please, please let me get what I want this time. It is Morris in his whiny self-pitying best, isn't it? <laughs> it's so good, though. <laughs> it is. Because this is what it felt like to be 16 years old. Everything is... It's, it's, it's heightened. Yeah. It's every emotion. You exaggerate everything. Yeah, everything's, everything's life or death at 16. Oh, she does not like me. <laughs> My life is over. Ten years down the line, you don't remember a day. Oh,
at his most self-pitying whiny best but god damn it we love it it's I think it's it probably is my favourite last night I dreamt second favourite your, your favourites have changed quite considerably no, the of the show dude it's always it's always last night or real around the fountain alright ok apart from when it's it's, it's apart, from, apart from when it's cemetery gates apart from when it's cemetery and apart from when it's, there is a light it's apart from when it's and apart from when it's some girls are bigger than others I try to be deaf but you're right you can't have a, you can't it have depends a on the day it depends what day of the week it is ask me tomorrow maybe it'll be panic it's it's definitely those four though <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Um, this is one of my favourites. This, this next track is one of my favourites. This is track number seven, Unhappy Birthday. Because you're evil and you lie and you should die. <laughs> and it may feel slightly sad, but I won't <laughs> cry. <laughs> That's funny shit. Yeah. Isn't it? And then when this bit now where it gets all quiet and slow, and then it kicks back in again. Yeah. And it's. it's oh, that's a very 80s sound, isn't it? It is a bit. There is occasions where you, you do get a little bit of, of 80s. Hmm. Like that. Yeah. Is that a theremin? It's kind of weird when you think about it, but every decade has its own definitive musical sounds. Yeah, so what makes this stand out from most of the 80s? The 80s was big band. Yeah. The 80s, boom, boom, was Phil Collins. Phil <laughs> Collins pretty much epitomises the 80s in that way that the Beatles epitomised the 60s. Yeah. I know which I prefer, <laughs> but that's just, just me. Unhappy Birthday. What do you think that one's about? Oh, I don't know. It's this this one definitely is one of the more subtle ones, I think. <laughs> so basically, he's singing "Unhappy Birthday" to a jilted from the perspective of a jilted lover. Yeah, that's definitely. He's the jilted person in this particular case. Yeah, especially that. that <laughs> if you die, I may feel slightly sad, but I won't cry. Yeah. What a bitch, <laughs> isn't he? You know, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. But yeah, yeah, I love this one. Again, it's got that girlfriend in a coma vibe. Yeah. And the the music is very jingly jangly guitar, indie guitar, jingly jangly fun. Yeah. That I love so much. 
And then you've got Morris on top being a miserable bastard. He's not as always been a miserable bastard. He's been very kind of unnecessarily and exaggerated angry. Yeah. It's, it's kind of... It's, it, I mean, he's very definitely insulting. Yeah. And he's very angry that the breakup did not end well. Yeah. It's, it's very kind of um, attacking. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite savage for Morrissey. Morrissey was more savage in his, his tongue... Yeah, he, whereas yeah. that yeah that one is angry, mm. isn't it? And uh, does Morrissey write characters, or does Morrissey write himself into it? I I always prefer. Well, he must write characters because Girlfriend in a Coma is not you about know, autobiographical, yeah. is it? So he must write from the perspective of characters, which is one thing I think a lot of people don't get in songs mm. that just because you're singing it doesn't mean it's your point of view, yeah, or your perspective. Whereas, like, with Springsteen, earlier on, we were just talking about Springsteen. He's very definitely singing from Springsteen's perspective. No, it's characters. Is it? Does he I, characters? I used to joke that, oh, bloody hell, he sings about a different girl in every song. Because no, what's that one you were listening to the other day about the girl who gets knocked up at 18? Oh, The River. Is that The River? Yeah, that's um, that's growing up in learning what the, the American dream is just a dream and that you have to make do with what you've got. Right. And that if you make mistakes, that's your life now. Well, that's not necessarily your so, life now, but yeah, you certainly so, have to own your mistakes as you go through life. Yeah, so this, even though he had recurring themes, you know, like uh, the economy, hmm. working a job, getting out all your savings, and then just hitting the road and trying to be something, which was Morrissey, like, yeah, no, I mean, Springsteen, his first two albums were commercial failures, so he just took everything and made Born to Run, which was huge, hmm. so it's about taking that chance. But it's it's all characters because right. that's the arguably characters are the best way you can explore your own opinions and feelings mm, because you're looking at it from the perspective of an outsider looking in at you. Yeah. So you're exploring. But uh, again, you know, it's a cliche. But a uh, person who never made mistakes never made nothing. Mm. The best arguments are ones that are from both perspectives. Well, speaking of. Ones that are very definitely songs. Track 8 is Paint a Vulgar Picture. Another great intro by Mr. Marr. Yeah. That's a common thread in this show, isn't it? <laughs> that Johnny it's a great Marr, intro. That Johnny Marr puts no foot wrong yeah. at any point. And that's probably why, nothing to do with who's the more talented, but Mar is more, still going now, just as strong. Yeah, but how many now. people has Mar lent his, his talents to as a backing, backing band member or yeah. guitarist or whatever? But he's still, they both still make music, but he's more in the front of the scene than Morrissey is. Hmm. Morrissey's essentially still doing the same stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things that I don't like Morrissey on his own as much as I like the Smiths. Some of them are alright. I mean, you know, the obvious ones. Yeah, every, every day's like Sunday, last of the gang, last of the gang to die and, and stuff. But Springfield Bob or Jim or whatever it was. But, yeah, it's, it's not the same, is it? Mm. Anyway, this one's a really... Paint of Vulgar Picture's a brilliant song. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Paint of Vulgar Picture is very it's looking... At the business that you yeah. are in, and uh, 
it's it's about the death of musicians, isn't it? Yeah, and the record company rubbing their hands together with glee. Because it's well known that your most, the most successful part in your artistic career is after your death, mm. and that's, that's one of the number one of the best-selling albums of last year, Sailor Black. Yeah, and it it doesn't matter whether you're a musician or not. I mean, uh, uh, more recent you've got artists like um, Bacon mm. who was more popular after his death yeah. um, Heath Ledger yeah. as an actor um, the AA back in music you had Michael Jackson a few years ago yeah I never liked Michael Jackson oh Beat It's a great record it's ironic that he should have that song given how he used to hang out with kids. Hey! hey. Allegedly. Allegedly. No, it's not alleged that he used to hang around with kids. But, uh, he didn't do no harm to Macaulay Culkin. Did he not? No, Macaulay Culkin did that to himself. But yeah, the, we won't play all the Paints of Vulgar Picture, but um, it, 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 it's scathingly satirical. Yeah. Paints of Vulgar Picture. It's, it's Morrissey at his most bite the hand that feeds, mm. which he did quite a lot. And it's quite interesting, like, he's attacking the industry that is putting his music out there mm. now he's done that recently and that's caused him quite a bit of trouble yeah but he seemed to get away with this yeah but, which... but I think I think he gets away with being painted a vulgar picture because he's absolutely right yeah the minute a big star dies especially if they die young Amy Winehouse mm. being a prime example Kurt Cobain yeah um, being another example the record company had just hey coining it repurpose repackage repurpose repackage repurpose reissue had an um, extra couple of tracks on there yeah and a, an attacky badge yeah <laughs> and it's it's he's not wrong in anything that he says in there. and this is Painter Vulgar Picture works as poetry mm. divorced of the music you could read that out at a poetry recital or in school when you had to do readings from books or whatever and it works yeah but it is Morrissey, like I say, at his most scathing, at his most attacking, at his most satirical. Yeah. Of him looking at the industry that he's in. And, and this is definitely him, that, not yeah, the character. Yeah, and they're seeing something that he doesn't like. But there's also that thing in there where he's saying, but you could have said no, couldn't you? You could have said no if you wanted to. Is that him saying, yeah. this is what I'm in now? Because the Smiths never released the best of while they were together. Right, okay. They never released a Greatest Hits compilation. The closest they came to doing anything like that was Rank, which right. was the live album that was released posthumously. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is true or not. Other people may know better than I, but I don't know whether that was contractual. Mm. It's entirely possible they owed the record company another album. Right, so they so just did it a live They one. just did a live record. And well, when, Rank. when does like, artistic integrity give in to business? When are you when are you doing something because you want to as an artist and when are you doing something because you have to? Yeah, when are you when is when is art and commerce David Bowie wrote his worst albums when he had to write albums and mm. then when he was free from contracts did you know Let's Dance and some of the best work he's he's done. Right. So when he was obliged to create he was doing it because he had to. And the the and and so is that work of lesser quality? Oh, definitely, yeah. Right. Right, see, that's that's the interesting thing, isn't it? If you sign a five-album deal... You have to do You have to albums. deliver five albums. Rico. I think you've got the Oasis syndrome there, haven't you? Yeah. Oasis, Noel Gallagher pretty much had the first two albums written 
before they signed a record contract. He'd written all those songs, they all existed. Yeah. And they are inarguably the two strongest records. They are the two Oasis albums. Yeah, because they are about what it is like to dream to be a pop star. Yeah. And then by the time he gets to his third record, he has he's achieved his dream and Noel Gallagher has said in interviews, Well what do I write about then? Yeah. Nobody wants to hear about the troubles of a millionaire. Yeah. Well, Nobody's interested in that. It's it's like that with Blink One Eighty Two, really. Yeah, you can't write songs about being 15 and messing about in high school and, and my, when you're in your 50s with kids. My big problem with Blink-182 was that although they wrote nice little catchy punky songs, even though I don't like the drummer marketing punk clothes, yeah. because that misses the point of <laughs> punk, marketing punk clothes. Although, you know, McLaren did it. So mm. he's only following in the footsteps of, of his idols, I suppose. But they were writing, yeah, songs about tossing off into the backs of dogs <laughs> but they also wrote some pretty catchy pop songs pretty yeah. catchy punky songs uh, what's my age again damn it damn it's my favourite and they did try their best at more serious but then that felt disingenuous that's yeah. my problem with them by the time they get to where are you mm. that era you're suddenly alright now you want us to take you seriously when you've done videos of you running down the street naked and singing songs about fucking dogs. I, I suppose, but to me, that's a much stronger band than one that's Yes, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's a better... That album is one of the best ones that they did. And the more later stuff influenced but, by Angels and Airwaves. But the problem is, they started out as a, a joke. You yeah. can't make a joke serious. Did they start off as a joke? Or no, they, they started out as, as being, like you said, being 15-year-old frat boys. Started, yeah. And they matured in such a way that now we want to be taken seriously as artists, but we still yeah. have that album about you. It's Christmas Eve, and I've only seen fucking presents. We've still got that record. So it's, you know. I much preferred Angels and Airwaves yes. to Blink 182, and I even preferred Hoppus's Plus 4 4. Yeah. That Plus 4 4 album that, is a really good record. Because that kind of gave them a new fresh start to be who they wanted to be at that point. Yeah, in both cases. And they, yeah. they'd kind of just grown apart by that point, hadn't they? Mark Hoppus and Delange. But then when they got back together, produced what I think is the best... What, Neighbourhood? Yeah. Neighborhood. See, I've not listened to Neighbourhood. It's it's great, and the EP that came after it as well. Right, and have they split up again now? Uh, they, well, they're not split up. They've, they've replaced um, Whiny Voice. Tom DeLonge. Tom DeLonge with Matty Skiba from Alkaline Trio. Isn't it? That's a, that's a good thing? It's interesting. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll for it. Maybe we'll do it. Maybe if, we, if, if people like this enough <laughs> to ask us back. Yeah. <laughs> not that we've asked them for this. We just kind of butted in. That's true. If people ask us back, maybe we'll do an Angels and Airwaves record. Or that plus 4-4 four four record. Okay. Or, uh, you know what I want to do? What? Oasis be here now. I, I thought about doing The River. Have you? Yeah. Uh, see, I don't know enough about that. I'd have to do a bit here now. I'd see, do my, my thinking would be here now is it is a band in disintegration. And that's why it's endlessly fascinating. Isn't that the one you really like? Yes. It's, it's Oasis. It's them falling apart. Yeah. It's, it's them being given complete free reign and not knowing what the hell to do with it. Three minute songs that are... That are eight minutes long. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I like being here now. Anyway, there's two tracks of this record left. Yes, we do, keep, we do keep talking about other... We do keep diverting. Well, we don't normally have an outlet for, for music, do we? So it, it's nice to be able to, to come and do this. Track nine is Death at One's Elbow. Very 1950s, once we get past the tractor. That's very poppy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, ooh, Glenn, don't come in the house tonight. This is his quick rock, isn't it? Yeah. This is 
And do you know what I realised when we finished doing weekly shows? What? We were Markham and Wise. I mean, we could aspire to be as great as Markham and Wise were, but we were out on deck. We were Saturday Night Entertainment. Right, okay. That's what we were Saturday Night Light Entertainment. we just become the same thing. Yeah, we, that's what we were. We weren't ever indie cred. Oh, we sold out without knowing. No, it's, well, that's it. We just, it's, we eased ourselves into Saturday Night Light Entertainment. Yeah. Wallpaper in the background. Okay. <laughs> And so if you want to get deep, that's, that's the Smiths are us. On the face of it, we're shiny and happy and we have a good laugh and we make dick and fart gags and frequently <laughs> we make dick gags, especially when we talk about how much we love dick. Grayson. That's never stops being it's funny. It never stops being funny. But underneath, we both have quite a twisted sense of humour. I suppose. Especially you. No, I you are severely about. twisted <laughs> in your sense of humour. And it's, it's one of them, you will say something. And I will laugh at it and then go, stop it. <laughs> when I realise that you, what you've said is actually woefully off colour. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the Smiths, it, it's, it's kind of interesting that both of us have the Smiths as one of our favourite bands. Because mm. that's what they are, candy-coated barbed wire. Yeah, and for a lot of the times, though, it's become... Uh, what I've noticed more or less with my generation is that the Smiths and definitely the Breakfast Club... It's the film? Yeah. Right, are things that... Well, we're pretty in, well, no, pretty in pink's in Pretty in Pink, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you forget about yeah. me. Um, but that's what people are like, oh, I really like The Breakfast Club and Smiths. Your generation and liked The Breakfast Club and The Smiths. Well, it's gone to the point now where, I mean, it used to be The Nightmare Before Christmas, and it's... If you tell me you like The Smiths, that tells me absolutely nothing about you as a person... And that is kind of what it's like with my generation for the mm. past few years or so. I wouldn't have thought your your generation even knew the Smiths were. Yeah. Um, a little bit of the Stone Roses as well. Right. But not nearly as much as the Smiths. Right. 
I just found I find it quite interesting. It is. That's quite fascinating. I wouldn't have thought they would know who the Smiths were. Yeah. Okay. And I think a lot of it's that kind of, oh, my parents listened to it. Oh, aren't they so... Yeah, you are the generation of the first generation of Smiths fans. Yeah. Case in point. Mm. So I think a lot of it is everyone is trying to be interesting using the closest thing to home. Right. Which is the Smiths. Right. Okay, That's, that is quite fascinating. Uh, the final track on the album is is one of the most autobiographical. Because in, in later years, people have read this final track as, as Morrissey talking about Johnny Marr. Right. And certainly in light of the whole split after this album was, was made, I won't show you. I won't show you. I won't share you With the drive and ambition The zeal I feel This is my time The notes I wrote as she read She said Has the Perrier gone straight to my head? Has the Perrier gone straight to my head? It's funny. But, like, you read that now, the drive and the ambition. Yeah. Morrissey wanted to carry on. Ma wanted a break. Mm. And it's very easy now to interpret this as, as Morrissey's love letter to Johnny Ma. Yeah. Especially with it being... It's quite a bit more potent being the last... Yes, the last song, song on the last record. His mm. I Won't Show You. And he wanted to go away with his missus and have some downtime. Yeah. And Morrissey was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I want to carry on. Life tends to come and go. That's okay as long as you know. Life tends to come and go. As long as you know, no, 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 no. And that chorus kicks in. And it's quite a fitting end, isn't it? It's, yeah, for something that started so bleakly upbeat, it's a very downbeat and slow and quiet farewell. I want the freedom and I want the guy. I want the freedom and the guy. There you go. It wasn't a growl, but he had one of his one of his mournful whines, a ghostly orgasm. Is that what it is? Quite neat little effects on it, really yeah. echoing out. Yeah, I mean, lovely listener, you're obviously hearing this through my tinny laptop speakers, <laughs> so I, I urge you to, if you've got any interest in it, you may have listened to this and thought, God, that sounds like whiny dribble. <laughs> and for, that's a fair comment. It's, yeah. It's a fair comment to have. But if we've uh, in any way piqued your interest to explore the, the back catalogue of the Smith, it, it, listen to them on headphones. Yeah. 
because it, it does benefit from, from headphones, doesn't it? Oh, you know, you can't really appreciate the Smiths until you've heard them on the original vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, emo Kylo Ren. <laughs> so, well, there you go. That was me and Michael looking at one of our favourite albums from one of our favourite bands because we both like to have a good weep every now and again don't we we do yeah it's nice Um, to have a little cry sometimes it is it's it's nice to just let it all out let your emotions (laughs) show be in touch with your emotions have a a good weep (laughs) about um, about things and just let it all get out and then go and listen to some Guns N' Roses and cheer up a bit oh do you listen to Guns N' Roses to cheer up I don't know what do you listen to to cheer up I I don't know I don't I mean I listen to the banana split I mean usually if I want to have a good little cry it's Depeche Mode Yeah, I'm too busy laughing at the Smiths <laughs> to cry at them. Anyway, all right, okay. We, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Long Play. Uh, it was fun, wasn't it? it We've was. not really done something like this before, so that was a good laugh. Uh, we're going to close the show out with a little bit of another favourite, The Divine Comedy, This Is Indie Disco, and then you'll hear the usual end tag. So uh, I think this is a good way to close the show out. Mm-hmm. At the Indie <laughs> Disco... I was going to say see you next time then, but we won't, will you? No. Because okay. so, this is a revolving door, this show. Right. So that's the way we'll it works. See you next time we come back. Yeah, so yeah, if, if, <laughs> if we've not made everyone slit the wrists, <laughs> we may come back and do another one. <laughs> next time we'll do Joy Division. <laughs> Bye. We go down to the indie disco every Thursday night. to our favourite indie hits until the morning light At the indie disco The indie disco At the indie disco
shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E. F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2TrueFreaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.